Today's episode of the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors. You know, a new door, new set of windows can do a lot of things for you. It can change the look and the feeling and the vibe of your home. It can add value to your home. Plus, it can make your home more energy efficient. Pella checks all those boxes and then some. Turn your window and door remodeling dreams into a reality with Pella. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That is PellaOmaha.com. And the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by my good pals at Runza. I've been telling you, you got to take advantage of the brand new menu item, the Reuben Runza Sandwich. Everything you love about a Reuben wrapped up inside the greatness of a Runza Sandwich. So get to Runza today and try the new Reuben Runza. And while you're there, tell them your pal, your buddy, your BFF, Nick Ba sent you. Okay, it is, uh, I'm looking at the time right now, it's 11.15 p.m., so it's almost midnight here on uh, Sunday, March 14th. Of course, you know, having a handful of duties that you got to deal with being a being a dad with two little ones, you got to, you know, get them all, uh, you know, in bed and get them a bath, all that stuff. Uh, but, man, there's just too many pressing things with Creighton, with the NCAA tournament, you know, the, the it was Selection Sunday, to not put out a pod. You know, I had to sneak down to my pod room and, and write down a handful of thoughts for you guys. Um, I, and so I, I, there's a bunch of different things I want to, I want to tackle for, for this pod. And, you know, there's lots to discuss with first with Creighton. So obviously they lost in the Big East tournament championship game to Georgetown. And there's a lot to discuss there. And, and with, you know, selection Sunday coming and, and Creighton got their name called, we know Creighton seed, we know their matchup, we know their path. All that. They're a five seed playing the 12 seed UC Santa Barbara. In their little pod, you got the four seeded Virginia Cavaliers, 13 seeded Ohio. Um, they would face Gonzaga in the Sweet 16. And I've had a couple of people send me tweets or grumble, like, oh my God, of course, Gonzaga. They'd have to. My response is, let's cross that bridge when it comes, right? Like, Creighton's never made the Sweet 16. If they get that opportunity to take a crack at Gonzaga, great. That's a great problem to have. It's a great problem to have, right? But let's let's back up. Let's back up and for for a second here, because real quick, as as just you know, as the week goes on here, I'm gonna put out more podcasts, more content. Keep an eye. I'm gonna have an in-depth breakdown of this specific matchup for Creighton. I'm gonna I've already downloaded a handful of games. I'm really gonna dive into some film study with UC Santa Barbara. Um, and I'm obviously going to have a, a I'm going to have a big in-depth NCAA tournament preview going region by region, give you some picks, some upsets, all that stuff. So lots of podcasts coming this week, but we got to pace ourselves, okay? I want to put a bow on Creighton's kind of Big East tournament experience and what happened in New York City. Because it's it's really interesting to take it all in totality of of what happened with the three games in in three days. So you, you look at it, Creighton played arguably their most complete and best game of the season, dismantling Butler in the quarterfinals, 87-56. to 56. Other than Villanova, the Villanova game at home this season, I think that was the best I've seen Creighton play all year. They were outstanding on both ends of the floor. And then Creighton followed that game up with a gritty, tough, grinded out, Physical slugfest win over a really good UConn team where they beat the Huskies 59-56. The game was rated R. It was a grown-ass man game. And Creighton was the tougher team and took down a a really, really good UConn team that I think is going to make some noise in the NCAA tournament. And then Creighton draws a, a really hot Georgetown team 
in the finals, but considering a handful of of circumstances, I'm not going to lie to you guys. I can't be disingenuous and after the fact be like, well, I thought Creighton was in trouble. I, I I didn't think they were. I really liked the situation. It's a good thing that I you know, wasn't down at the, the sports book or in Vegas. I'd have bet a lot of money on the Blue Jays to cover. I think the spread was like seven or eight. Man, I thought Creighton's going to play really well. You know, because I, I felt like there were a couple of things with this situation I felt good about. Georgetown had to come out of the playing game, so they had an extra game that they had to play. It was going to be their fourth game in four days. Georgetown, you know, was a team that wasn't going to try to slow the game down or play some funky zone and and try to make the game a rock fight in the 50s or something like that, which is something obviously Creighton never loves. So needless to say, I was stunned with the final score of the game. Georgetown hammered hammered Creighton 73 to 48 unreal doing I did the game on the radio with John Bishop and we were just looking at each other jaw agape just like this is unbelievable because that was the worst game Creighton has played all season by a mile and that was the worst that was that was the worst game this group you know Zagorowski Ballock Damian Jefferson Christian that it's the worst game this group has had since they got blown out by San Diego State in Las Vegas last last season on Thanksgiving night. And so, you know, you just you look at it. So we're talking about pretty much two full seasons. Creighton really hadn't had a clunker like that in in all season, and he'd have to go all the way back to last Thanksgiving. And what was odd was Creighton got off to a decent start. With that game, they were in total control of the game. They were getting good, high-quality shots offensively through the first seven or eight minutes of the game. They were locked in on defense. Georgetown looked uncomfortable. Creighton looked comfortable. And so, but everything flipped around the 12-minute mark. Creighton was up 13-6. to And around the 12-minute mark, Greg McDermott tried to spell Zegarowski for a bit, get him a quick break for that under-12 media timeout. And all of a sudden, Coach McDermott kind of found himself with a really bad lineup on the floor. Sharif Mitchell was out, wasn't able to play because he got hit in the head by James Booknight in that in the UConn game. So he was out. So Greg McDermott threw a walk-on Jet Canfield who really hadn't played any meaningful minutes all season. He played a a maybe a two or three minute stretch at Butler in mid-January because that was game Zagorowski was out and Sharif Mitchell got into foul trouble. But really, Jet Canfield hadn't played meaningful minutes all season. That's a tall task to ask a kid that hadn't played meaningful minutes all year, hey, go play in the Big East Tournament Finals. And then to compound things, Jet was out there with without Mitch Ballock and without Christian Bishop. So the lineup, I believe, was Jet Canfield, Alex O'Connell, Denzel Mahoney, Damian Jefferson, and Ryan Kalkbrenner. And the game flipped. Georgetown went on a 7-0 run. Their sharpshooter, Javon Blair, got a few to go down. And Georgetown got confident and got rolling. And Creighton lost all their momentum. And then for whatever reason, even when then the starters came back into the game, Creighton just lost all their juice. All of it. Georgetown eventually went on an 18-0 run. Went on a, they were on a, I think it was ballooned into a 29-3 run and cruised to a blowout win. And, you know, I said on the radio 
you know, calling the game that you know, this was the most stunned I've been with a performance by Creighton since the Baylor loss in the NCAA tournament Doug McDermott's senior year. Like, I, it was, I was shocked. It was maddening. And it's just unfortunate because I thought Creighton had played three straight really good games when you go back to the senior day game beating Butler in Omaha. And they were having a great run in the Big East tournament up until that point. And it's it's hard because it it kind of felt like at least in the moment. Now obviously if there's you know we've been here 36 hours removed, the dust has settled a little bit. But it felt like man, whatever good mojo you maybe built in this Big East tournament felt a little stunted with this loss. But I I I will say this. For anyone wanting to drum up the narrative of referencing Greg McDermott's quotes after the Xavier game that's, you know, obviously created a a a big issue or a big a big cloud around the program. Anybody wanting to kind of drum up that narrative as to this hurting the team and being the reason that Georgetown game happened the way it did, I just I don't want to say stop it because I, you know, you can say whatever you want to say. I just really don't agree with that. I really don't see it that way. If that whole situation was still a huge issue with this team on the floor, I'm talking about on the floor, in like playing in basketball games, then how do how how do you explain the incredible performance crushing Butler in the quarterfinals? And then how do you explain the gritty, tough win over a really scrappy UConn win in the semifinals? Because trust me, if if this Creighton team had major dissension and major issues with each other and all that, they wouldn't have fought through that game. So I just, I don't connect the dots of the issues stemming from McDermott's mistake in the Xavier locker room with his comments to the team with the Georgetown loss. I just don't, I don't. I don't really now. Okay, let's say let's say Creighton against uh, against Butler in the quarterfinals would have had this performance where they got blown out by thirty and look like okay. I mean, then maybe you like now we're maybe talking about like oh, there's maybe something there. But they had probably their best performance of the season in the quarterfinals against Butler. They they won a game that was going to test your togetherness, your toughness, your chemistry, your trust, your want to. Like that UConn game was going to test all that stuff. And if there was any any weakness or any guys being not all the way in, it would have shown in that game. So again, I just don't I don't quite see that connection. And uh, listen. I'm not saying that everything is all good and and that whole situation is done as o- and over done and over with. It's most certainly not. It's most certainly not. But from purely a basketball standpoint, I guess I don't know. I mean, how could you say that it's still a big problem for this team on the floor when they put together three straight really impressive wins leading up to that clunker against Georgetown? I just I don't know. I just don't I I don't connect those dots. That's just my opinion. That's just my opinion. And the last thought on on you know this, the Big East tournament in Georgetown and and Creighton and that game and all this stuff. To to be really glass half full guy for a second. The reality is, if Creighton plays well this week and beats UC Santa Barbara 
and then beats Virginia or whoever in the second round uh, in the second round game and makes it to the Sweet 16, nobody will really care about that terrible loss to Georgetown. Nobody really will. So while a few of Creighton's team goals they they didn't achieve this year, defending their regular season Big East crown, winning the Big East Conference Tournament, those are probably two goals on the team's list. Let's be honest. This team has had their sights set on March Madness and making a run in the NCAA Tournament the entire year. And in all reality, this is kind of two years in the making since last year's tournament got canceled for this group. Making a run, breaking through that wall of the Sweet 16 has been the main goal for this team. And that goal, the goal, is still right in front of this team. So let's let's talk about that goal for a second, which is, you know, obviously the NCAA tournament. And Creighton. I, I've I've said this before. And I'll say it again. The fact that Creighton has never made a run to the Sweet 16 is just, it's it's maddening, it's frustrating, it's unacceptable. It just is. And this is coming from a former player. Like someone that played in the NCAA tournament with a Creighton uniform on. But when you think about all the really good teams and really good players over the past 20 to 25 years, from Rodney Buford and Ryan Sears and Ben Walker to Kyle Corver to Nate Funk and Anthony Tolliver and my years to, to having the National Player of the Year and Doug McDermott and that incredible group to having Marcus Foster and Kyrie Thomas and Justin Patton. And for all those teams, for Creighton to not be able to get over the hump and get to the second weekend of the NCAA tournament is just Maddening. It's maddening. And I've used this analogy before, and I'll I'll use it again here. Let's say at my job, let's say, you know, I start a job, I'm, uh, and and I'm at this job, I'm late for work ten times in a month. I'm late for work ten times in a month. And for each time that I'm late, I have a pseudo-valid reason for it, right? I, like, hey, man, got a flat tire. Sorry. Hey, there was a, I got into a car accident. Man, I had food poisoning. I was a, my kid got sick. I had to go to the hospital. Whatever. Each time in the moment, I have a reason for why I was late. And I, I you know, tell that to the boss. And probably each time the boss kind of nods. is like, okay, I mean, all right, I'm okay. But the bottom line is, at the end of the month, I was late to work 10 times. And any way you slice that, that's a problem. That's not good. That's how I view Creighton's lack of postseason success in the NCAA tournament and inability to punch through to the second weekend in the Sweet 16. Sure, I can go through each individual March and the matchup in the NCAA tournament and give you a reason why Creighton came up short and didn't make it to the Sweet 16. Maurice Watson's torn ACL, the bad matchup with Baylor zone, and heck, had to play Baylor in San Antonio in the second round. Martin Crompel tore his ACL, totally changed the team in 2018. Bad draw, 
for Corver's group scene. Chris Kamen in the second round. Had to play North Carolina in Greensboro in the second round in 2012. Really bad matchup versus Rhode Island in 2017. On and on. Right? I could go through each one and kind of give you a pseudo-valid excuse or reason as to why Creighton didn't win or make a run. But any way you slice it, it's not acceptable. This is too good of a program that's had too good of players, too good of coaches, too good of support. And again, listen, this isn't just a Greg McDermott thing. Oh, no, 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 no. This goes back to Dana Altman, Kyle Korver, me, my teams. I'll own it. I'll acknowledge it. I'm acknowledging it. This is not just a Greg McDermott thing. I say all that to say, on paper, right now, for the first time heading into the NCAA tournament in in a in quite some time, I don't see a bad situation for Creighton. I don't see a really bad draw for the first round matchup. I don't see a really bad potential second round matchup for Creighton. I don't see a team with a critical injury that changes the entire team. Knock on wood for that. But for the first time in a long, long time, other than other than maybe the Greg McDermott, Xavier post-game comments situation, other than maybe that, I think this team has, has proven that at least on the floor, they're okay with get, given that situation. So, you know, for the first time, I'm feeling pretty good about Creighton's situation right now. Because, I mean, here, excuse or not, reason or not, the NCAA tournament on some level is about matchups and momentum and injuries and a little luck, all that stuff. It is. I mean, I remember my, my freshman year at KU. We went to the Elite Eight and... Here, here was our path to the Elite Eight. We were a four seed. We beat 13-seeded Illinois Chicago. 12-seeded Pacific upset fifth-seeded Providence. So we played 12-seed Pacific to go to the Sweet 16, beat them. UAB, an eight-seed, upset Kentucky, the one-seed. So we play not one-seeded Kentucky. We play eight-seeded UAB. We beat them. And then we lost to Georgia Tech, Jarrett Jack, and those guys in the Elite Eight. But think about that. We made it to the Elite Eight, and we played a 13 seed, a 12 seed, and an 8 seed. Like, sometimes you got to get a little luck, a little fortunate. And you got to be healthy, and you got to have all, the, all that stuff. Got to get the right matchup. And the reality is Creighton has felt a little cursed with all that for a long time. And this year, again, at least on paper, I feel decent. I feel pretty good about the team. feel pretty good about their health. feel pretty good about their first-round draw, their path. I mean, this is an experienced group. They've been through a lot of wars together. Maybe they don't have NCAA experience, but they've played a lot of basketball together. This, this team... 
This core group won the Big East regular season crown last year, returned five of its top six scorers. I mean, their starting five is three seniors, two juniors, and they've had a pretty damn good season. Earning a five seed, facing off with 12-seeded UC Santa Barbara. And oh, by the way, oh, by the way, the four seed in their pod, who Creighton would likely see in the second round, is Virginia. And Virginia is a team who's dealing with major COVID issues right now. Virginia had to withdraw from the ACC tournament a few days ago because of COVID. And Tony Bennett on Sunday night announced that Virginia won't be traveling to Indianapolis until Friday, which the game is on Saturday, by the way. And keep in mind, Virginia, they won't, they won't be able to even practice until Thursday. Reading from Matt Norlander, it sounds like most of Virginia's roster is still in contact tracing isolation. And, you know, I I believe that one or two of their positive cases were players. All right, let's take a quick break from the podcast, talk to you guys about Pella windows and doors. You know, putting in, you know, new door, new windows. It's exciting, but sometimes you don't even know where to begin. Let me help you out. First of all, you got to go with Pella. And when you go with Pella, there are a couple of directions you can go from there. You can schedule a free in-home consultation. That's right, free, F-R-E-E. You're going to get a Pella expert out to sit down with you, take a look at your home, and they're going to be able to put a game plan together that fits your budget, your wants, and your needs. Or you can head out to their showroom. Showroom's available in Lincoln and in Omaha. And the showroom's really cool. You Sometimes it helps to actually see the window and see the door uh, to get a better feel of exactly what you're going to be putting into your home. So the showroom's a great place to start as well. Any direction you go, just know the Pella can 100% provide window and door solutions to any home. Check them out online, Pella Omaha. That's PellaOmaha.com. And the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by my good friends at Runza. If you haven't done it yet, you need to take advantage of the brand new menu item that is available. And it's the Reuben Runza sandwich. It is every single thing you love about a Reuben wrapped up inside the greatness of a Runza sandwich. And I've just, one thing I've loved watching over the years with Runza is how they have evolved the Runza sandwich into it. There's a vegetarian Runza, you know, there's like a black bean Runza. There's there's so many different kinds of Runzas. And guess what? They're all fantastic because there's just nothing quite like the greatness of a Runza sandwich. And if you're a Reuben lover and you're a Runza lover, well, guess what? The Reuben Runza, is, you're, it's going to blow your mind. You're going to love it. So get to Runza today and try the new Reuben Runza sandwich. And while you're there, tell them your pal Nick Ba sends you. Okay, back to the podcast. So listen, Virginia's situation is really fluid and really delicate. I mean, they might have to withdraw from the tournament, or if they stay clean with tests and proceed with no major hiccups, they will have... No practice all week, and then who knows what their roster situation will look like if they can play. So, you know, peeking ahead to the second-round matchup for Creighton, potentially. So Creighton would, would likely be looking at either a Virginia team that hasn't been able to practice all week and might not have its full roster, or 13-seeded Ohio if it knocks off Virginia, or be potentially looking at a fill-in team from one of the first four out taking Virginia's place because that's how the, the, 
the COVID protocols are with, with the NCAA tournament for its first round. So that would be either like Colorado State, St. Louis, uh, Louisville, filling in for Virginia. That's all pretty good for Creighton's path, right? Like, you could have a worse path. You could have a worse pod, you know, in terms of who you would potentially be seeing in the second round. Right? This isn't like in whatever it was, 2013, when Creighton was going to have to play Duke in the second round. Or this isn't like in 2012 with Dougie and the boys, they were going to have to play North Carolina in Greensboro, Harrison Barnes and, you know, that whole crew, Kendall Marshall and John Henson. This isn't like that. But, but, first things first, Creighton needs to get past UC Santa Barbara. Couple of things with this team and matchup. And again, I'm going to deep dive them more. And so I'm going to have a more of an in depth breakdown of them later on in the week. But you look at this, this UC Santa Barbara team, they've won 18 of their past 19 games. They've only lost one time since December 28th. Winning is winning. And I don't care what level you're at, going 18 and 1 in a 19-game stretch in Division I college basketball, it ain't easy. So you got to start there and acknowledge that and tip your cap to winning. They have a great guard in Ja'Cory McLaughlin. He's a 6'4 senior. He was the Big West Conference Player of the Year. 16 points per game. He's a 40% three-point shooter. He's an Oregon State transfer. He's a good player. And they're, they're an older veteran team. They returned four starters from a year ago. And... Again, anytime you are winning at that consistent of a clip, you know they have a collective confidence and a collective belief in what they're doing. Joe Pasternak is their head coach. He was a manager for Bob Knight, so he's kind of a Bob Knight disciple. So you know his team's probably going to have a little bit of toughness to him. So you got to acknowledge all those things. You know, they got a talented conference player of the year guard. They've won at a really high clip. Again, 18-1 in the last 19 games. They're an older group. So you got to acknowledge all those things. But I will say this. Just at first kind of glance at them. Even though I respect winning, and I do, Level of competition does it is it, something you have to think about, right? Come on. UC Santa Barbara hasn't played a power conference team all year. They didn't play one power conference team in the non-con. And the Big West Conference isn't exactly known as a you know a basketball juggernaut of a league. I mean, you look at the past two seasons. UC Santa Barbara, they've played two total power conference teams. UCLA and Oregon State both last year, and they lost both games by double digits. So I'm just I'm just pointing that out. They they haven't necessarily played the toughest schedule in the world. And when they take the floor against Creighton, I mean Creighton's going to be a pretty sizable jump in competition for them. When when Creighton takes the floor, they will Creighton will be the more athletic team. They're going to be the more battle-tested team. They will have played a significantly tougher schedule and tougher competition 
And the reality is, Creighton hasn't been able to say that in the vast majority of their NCAA tournament games. Right? Think about that. Creighton hasn't been able to say what I just said in the vast majority of their NCAA tournament games over the course of their program's history. Right? They're the more they've played the tougher schedule. They're more battle tested. They're the more athletic team. So, you know, again, on paper, on paper, there's a lot to like about this situation. Not not saying that anything is a lock. Far from it. Hell, guys, 12-5 games, those 12-5 games are typically dog fights. And if 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 you aren't ready to play and you don't bring your A game in the NCAA tournament, your ass is going home. Unless you're like a one seed, you know what I mean? Like, and you're Anthony Davis and those dudes, or you're you're Jalen Brunson and all those guys where you just got, you know, you're just stacked with pros. Like they might be able to, you know, it, the 2012 Kentucky team might be able to kind of like roll the ball out and get past a few teams, right? Creighton's certainly not that. In the NCAA tournament, if you don't if you don't bring your A game, your ass is going home. So. Trust me, I'm just laying the whole picture out. Creighton's got to be ready to rock. They got to prepare to bring it. But I'm just simply pointing out that on paper, this feels like a decent situation on a variety of levels for Creighton, which is something that we haven't said a lot in terms of past NCAA tournaments for Creighton. Again, I'll have more on this UC Santa Barbara matchup later this week as I dive more into film study and all that stuff, so keep an eye out for that. And as far as the NCAA tournament, you know, I'm going to do a full in-depth region-by-region breakdown podcast uh, in a day or two, but I will, before I I say goodbye here, I will give you guys uh, a couple quick thoughts. I'm not going to, I don't want to give away too much on some teams I like and all that stuff, but I have a few quick thoughts. I mean, because, you know, shit, it's Selection Sunday, man. It's a, it's a, it should be like a national holiday. As far as the the bracket and the field of 68, you know, I, first of all, I didn't think anything was egregious from the committee. This year was so freaking hard with teams playing different amounts of games, no fans at games, all the COVID pauses and cancellations, a disjointed non-conference slate across the board. Like, it is an impossible situation. Are there some pretty pretty darn good teams left out? Yeah. St. Louis, Louisville, like, pretty good teams. Now, both those teams have been hit hard by COVID, which derailed their season, which, you know, if you're probably them, you're going, come on, man. I mean, but I don't know. It's one of those things you just – it is what it is this year. Like, it's unfortunate. Everybody had to navigate it. It sucks. But it is what it is. So, yeah, are there some good teams left out? Yeah, but you can say that every year, right? I will say this. I'm I'm extremely happy for Drake and, and Coach Darren DeVries. Everybody knows D-Rock was an assistant at Creighton for almost 20 years. I've known that guy for pretty much 20-plus years. He was an assistant coach when I played at Creighton. He's now the head coach at Drake doing a hell of a job. Uh, I'm so happy that, that they're going to the NCAA tournament. They're going to be in the first four taking on Wichita State. So shouts out to Drake and 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 Coach DeVries. The other the other thing though, I will say this. Michigan State didn't have a great season. I mean, and by Michigan State standards, this isn't a great team. 
but it is interesting. Like sometimes you do got to say things out loud. Say this out loud to yourself. A team that has beaten two one seeds and a number two seed is in the first four. <laughs> you know, like talking about Michigan State. And I'm trying to like work that out of my head. Because on one hand, they are 15 and 12, right? Like 12 losses is a lot of losses. And I, I looked at, before I turned on the mic here, I think they, I believe they have nine double-digit losses. I know they got their doors blown off at Rutgers, like by 30. I mean, they've, so you do got to look at the full scope. And, man, I don't think, listen, I don't think Michigan State is very good. I've seen them live in person three times this year. I've done three Michigan State games this year. I had them at home in December versus Oakland in East Lansing. I had them at Iowa, and then I had them at Nebraska. I've seen them live, up close, in person three times. Not to mention all the other games I've watched them on film. But sometimes when you see a team in person, like it gives you a different sense. Like they aren't, they aren't great. They aren't great. They don't really have a pure point guard. That's been a problem all year. Like, they are great. But, man, it's just crazy to say out loud that a team in the first four has wins over two number one seeds and a number two seed. It's crazy. Again, I'll get more in-depth on my bracket breakdown pod coming up later this week. But I I will leave you with this to chew on, and you better be ready to chew on this because I'm still chewing on it, and I'm not sure what I think. So Ken Palm, Ken Pomeroy, he's the analytics guru and the gold standard for college basketball advanced analytics in both predictive and results-based metrics, period. KenPalm.com and his rankings and his advanced stats are a must for any legit college basketball fan to look at, and whenever I'm preparing for a team, one of the first things I do is go to Ken Palm and I pull up their team page, sift through it. I want you to chew on this. Since Ken Palm began in 2002, so we're going on almost two full decades here of Ken Palm doing his thing with his numbers and his formulas and and all that. Since Ken Palm began in 2002, only once, only one time, has the national champion not been top 25 in both its offensive and defensive efficiency rankings. That outlier was UConn in 2014, by the way, that that was outside of the top 25 in both offensive and defensive efficiency. Wasn't in the top 25 both those, but still won it all. But that's it. Only one time since Ken Palm started in 2002 has the national champion not been top 25 in both offensive and defensive efficiency rankings. So if you're a believer in the numbers and that trend, As we head into the NCAA tournament, there are only six teams that fall into that category. And here they are. Gonzaga, Michigan, Illinois, Purdue, UConn, and Houston. That's it. 
If you are a believer in the numbers and a believer in that trend, your national champion is likely in that pool of six teams. Now, I will I will say two two more things of this. There, there were a few. There are more than a few teams who were close, right? Bama was close. Wisconsin was close. USC, Arkansas, Colorado, Creighton, Texas Tech, BYU. Like all, there were all those teams were close to being in the top twenty-five of both. They were either in the top twenty-five in offense, but out of it on defense, or vice versa. But the only six teams that are top twenty-five in both offensive efficiency and defensive efficiency. Gonzaga, Michigan, Illinois, Purdue, Houston, and UConn. It's amazing to think about that, right? Because obviously it's not surprising to see Gonzaga, Michigan, and Illinois on there, right? They're 3-1 seats. But I guess I don't really view the other three teams like legit title contenders, even though I do think they're really good in Purdue, Houston, and UConn. Now, I will say that if there ever was a year where the numbers are fluky and messed up and flawed, it's this year. Because, man, talk about having a million variables. No fans in the stands, COVID pauses, three-week shutdowns in the middle of the season, imbalanced schedules, on and on and on. All those things got to impact the numbers in some way, don't they? Like you look at like a, a team like ba- I look at Baylor because I'm sure they're the they're the top group team that you're like wow Baylor's not in it it's like no they're not like you look you look at Baylor Baylor right now third ranked offensive efficiency but they're 44th in defense and what's hard about that is Baylor was absolutely trending in the direction of being top 25 in both offensive and defensive rankings but. Baylor, went, they went on their three-week COVID pause at the beginning of February, and they've been a little rusty since then, and it's kind of screwed up their defensive numbers. So again, if there ever was a year where maybe, just maybe the numbers are a little flawed, it, it could be this year. But nevertheless, certainly an interesting trend from Ken Palm to think about. Again, just one time since 2002. Has the national champion not been in the top 25 of offensive and defensive efficiency rankings? Give it to you one more time. The six teams that fall into that category and being top 25 for both Gonzaga, Michigan, Illinois, Purdue, Houston, and UConn. So is the champ in that pool of six? Will will the trend continue? Or are the numbers a little flawed this year? We shall find out. Again, keep an eye out for my NCAA tournament preview, region by region, give you some picks, some some thoughts. Keep an eye out for a more in-depth preview of Creighton's first-round matchup with UC Santa Barbara. I'll dive into some film study. In the meantime, click that subscribe button. That way you won't miss any of the pods when they drop. All right, just click that subscribe button. It helps me out, and it helps you out. It's the best time of year. Cheers to March Madness.
All right, my thanks to Appella. If you're thinking about a new window or a new door, now is the time. Check them out online on the web at PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And uh, my thanks to my good friends at Rumsel. Best fries on the planet. Great burgers. Cheese runs are delicious. The food is simply fantastic. Runza makes it all better. A Huda Media Production.